Gospel lesson is from the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Jesus said to the disciples, About that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah's were, Noah were, so will there be the coming of man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This ends the gospel. Well, Happy New Year. <laughs> happy Advent. It's great to see all of you here. I was looking at the forecast yesterday. I was so worried that we wouldn't have Advent 1, but here we are. The weather is held. Um, so thank you for being here. And let us pray. Good and gracious God, here we are at the beginning of another Advent journey, getting ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our homes, our families, our church ready to receive you and the gift of your Son once again. Turn our hearts to your love and help us in this season to receive and celebrate your gifts of peace, hope, love, and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you remember learning how to tell time? <laughs> uh, I have this vivid memory from school that we had a big yellow clock with big red hands on it. And it was a little transparent place in the middle. You could see the gears behind the clock moving as the teacher moved the hour hand and the minute hand. And we'd practice telling her that it was quarter after or quarter of, or half past, and so on. And despite my love of all things technology, I still wear an old-school analog watch because it reminds me of how I learned to tell time and the movement and the flow of the seconds and the minutes, the hours, and the days. But as we grow older, we learn other things about time, don't we? We learn that time flies, that Time is fleeting, that time waits for no one. We learn about killing time and that time is money. As adults, we learn that time is exacting and finite, that there's never enough of it. Between work and family and passion projects, many of us are scheduled to within an inch of our lives. And many of us are aware that there are fewer years ahead of us than behind. As we become busier, older, and our world moves faster and faster, Time, once a thing of wonder and fascination in our childhood, can kind of become our enemy, our enemy. And this is a hard way to live. In fact, it creates an unhealthy relationship to the very thing that is one of God's greatest gifts to us, time itself. The years that we have been given to live on this earth and the gift and possibilities that each new day brings. Time. How do you tell time? We were reminded this morning on this first Sunday of Advent 
the first day of the new church year, that as people of faith, we tell time and we relate to time a little differently. The Christian calendar, which begins today, is organized around Christmas and Easter, around Jesus' birth and resurrection. It's how we define our year. Christmas is December 25th, and so we count back four Sundays to the beginning of Advent, which is today. And then Easter always moves around in the springtime because it falls on, are you ready? The first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. (laughs) Who came up with that? (laughs) And so our church year begins at the darkest and coldest part of our year in this hemisphere and peaks when the earth is bursting forth into bloom. We tell time according to the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus. From the very beginning, from the creation, God built in for us a time of rest, six days to work and a seventh day to rest. Um, At Confirmation this fall, we've been looking at the commandments, and we were learning remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, and we asked our students, why do you think God put this commandment in the list? And one student responded, Maybe God just wanted to give us a break. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And this worship service, which happens on that Sabbath day, is sometimes called by theologians a time out of time, an hour like no other that can change and reframe our whole week and maybe even our lives. And it goes on and on. The, the Hebrew Scriptures established a sabbatical every seven years for the land so that the land would lie fallow and all activity, the plowing and the planting and the pruning and the harvesting would stop so that the land could recover. That's where sabbaticals come from. And then there are seven cycles of those seven years. So every 49 years was called a jubilee year. And that's a year when slaves and prisoners would be freed, the debts would be forgiven, and the mercies of God would be particularly manifest. And churches also tell time in all kinds of unusual ways. We count the time by baptisms and weddings, funerals, by buildings, and one which we know here very presently by pastorates. Altogether, Christians keep time in a different way. And the first Sunday of Advent invites us to an experience of time that is more healing, that offers a path to greater wholeness and a recovery of our humanity. Because in this season, most of all, we tell time in a different way. Our timepiece is a wreath. We mark a calendar that only has 25 days. We raise a banner for each Sunday of the season. And while the world rushes on ahead of us, we are asked to patiently wait and to listen. Our readings for today remind us that a Christian understanding of time also carries with it a sense of hopeful expectation. In Matthew, we hear, Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. In Isaiah, we hear the promise of a time where there shall be peace and justice, where swords are beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, and we will study war no more. Our readings, each in their own way, talk about a coming time that will be better than the one we know, where the world will finally be aligned with God's vision for it. And these visions of the future point us to hope, which is the theme for this Sunday of Advent. Hope. How familiar have you been recently with hope? 
You know, this summer I was on sabbatical, and I took my pilgrimage, and I traveled around Europe with my family. And at some point in that trip, and I wish I could pinpoint it, I started feeling this kindling in my heart. And at first I didn't know what that feeling was, and then I figured it out. It was hope. And I realized that I had gone a long, long time not feeling that feeling. And I wonder if it's the same for you. There is so much in our world that is not hopeful. We veer into cynicism and despair, and we lose hope that things can and will be better. Do you know what I mean? This was one of the best gifts of my sabbatical, to remember how to hold the hope and rediscover the goodness and beauty and generosity of the planet and its people and the God who created all of us. This fall, my sermons have been about lots of different things, church history and Hamilton and my daughter's tree project and Game of Thrones. But at their core, they have all been about reclaiming hope. And hope is different from optimism. Optimism believes that things will all work out for the best in the end. But hope, as it's used in the Bible, is about trusting God's faithfulness, looking back at what God has done, and trusting that God will do it again. Hope looks at a world of pain and darkness. Hope looks at our frustrations and exhaustion and says, yep, we've been here before. And yep, God has been here before too. And that this is where God chooses to meet us, in a manger on a dark night in Bethlehem and in a dark day on the cross of Calvary. These are the places where God does God's best work. No place is too dark. No place is too lost. No place is too hard. No place is too lonely for God in our world or in our lives. And that is our hope. At a time of transition for our church, we hope because we know how good and faithful God has been to this congregation and trust that God will continue to be so, that God will give us exactly what we need for this time. And so why do we go round and round in these church seasons and years? Because we have to be reminded all the time that God is going to do it again and again and again and again. I recently came across a little poem called Hope is a Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson, and the first stanza goes like this. Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words, and never stops at all. Hope is the song that God is always singing, and Advent invites us to slow down, to breathe, and to listen. And finally, in his letter to the Colossians and the Ephesians, St. Paul uses a phrase which in the King James Version is translated as, redeem the time and which is translated most often now as make the most of the time or make the most of every opportunity. And I pray that this, in this Advent, we can begin to redeem our relationship to time and to rekindle the hope that is our heritage, that time can be a companion rather than a taskmaster, master, that we can be more aware of time's abundance rather than its scarcity, that as we tell time in this peculiar way this season, we remember that it is all in God's time, time filled with possibility and 
unexpected and unearned graces. I pray that once again, we learn how to tell the time. Amen.